we're going to be talking about uh, a great Mother's Day story, in my opinion. It's the story of Hannah and Samuel. It's the story of Hannah and Eli, who was the great priest, who became uh, the priestly father of Samuel. It's a super, super story. And in the midst of this COVID-19 challenge we have today, I want to ask us the question, how is God blessing you right now? How is God bringing blessings into your life that you um, didn't expect and probably wouldn't have experienced or acknowledged had it not been for this time of social distancing? For me, it's been a time of, of, of thinking a little bit more, having more meditative thought, having more time to pray, more time uh, to read God's Word. And one of the things I've been thinking about just this past week in light of this Mother's Day um, sermon is I've thought about our children, Tammy's and my children, Zachary Barnes Copeland and Emily Grace Copeland Bryant, and I've thought about um, not just them coming into the world, but particularly their baptisms. Tammy and I baptized our first child, Zachary Barnes, on Mother's Day. And that baptism took place in East Texas at the First United Methodist Church of Henderson, Texas, which was my first appointment. And the Reverend David Williamson, he was the pastor who baptized Zachary. It was a joyful day, but it was a stressful time because just a, a few weeks prior, I had been diagnosed with what, with what was thought to be terminal leukemia. And so here we were in the midst of this great joy and yet in the midst of this terrible news. And, and there we were caught in the middle and celebrating God's grace. And, and then I thought about when Emily was born, we were in Houston. It was six years later. I had completed six years of, of medical treatment, and uh, it was highly successful. And Emily was baptized on Father's Day at First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas. And my mentor, Dr. Bill Henson, baptized our daughter, Emily. And Emily's middle name was Grace, so her baptism name was Emily Grace, and she was named Grace not just because of, of the wonderful experience that we had had through my treatment of God's grace and my healing, but we loved a woman named Mary Grace Randerson who kept our children the seven years that we were there in Houston. And so Grace reminds us of that saintly woman who bestowed so much grace on us. What a blessing of grace to think about those moments of baptism, especially on Mother's Day. And, and to think about how, how baptism is a symbol of God's grace. God coming to us with the gift of life and new life. And for the parents who are baptizing children... We, we also recognize that we are saying thank you to God and we're pledging to nurture our children in the faith. And that too is an expression of grace. Today on Mother's Day, we're going to be looking at this story about how um, the gospel becomes grace and how Hannah uh, became the gospel of grace in so many ways. 
You know, Hannah is the perfect example of a godly woman who became a mother who was greatly influenced by God's grace. Elkanah was her husband and a man who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. He had two wives back in that day. That was not only legal, but was commonplace. And his two wives, Hannah, who, with whom he had no children, and his other wife, Penana, who had children. And, and here I want us to pick up with the story reading from 1 Samuel, the first chapter, beginning with the fourth verse. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Penana and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely by, um, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on a year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, he said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Well, I want to um, share a first lesson from this scripture. And men, I want you to listen up. Men, men, uh, don't say to your wife, am I not worth more than you than ten sons or even one child? I mean, you may be the loser in that. But there's another story here that's evolving in the midst of a family drama that is shared with us. Elkanah treats Hannah with kindness, but Penana, who is um, his other wife, he treats Hannah with abuse that is relentless. The voice that she heard from Penana would ring in her ears as chiding, and she would Provoke her severely, says the scripture, because of her barrenness. You know, a, a condition, a situation that, that, that should evoke some compassion and some care and some empathy evoked from Panana um, a relentless, chiding, and painful conversation. Every time they were together in the house, it seems Hannah would be driven to tears and would not eat her barrenness was hard for her to bear. I want to ask us a question this morning. What has been your barrenness? What has been a situation that's been hard for you to bear, that has caused you to feel worthless or, or, or not of value, that has caused you anxiety such as Hannah felt and experienced? That sense of worthlessness about goals and ambitions that you haven't been able to achieve and you feel barren as a professional or as a worker. Or, or maybe it's a, a sense of, of living into some of the great expectations that you've had in other ways and you've come away from those situations feeling barren. The unkind words and the caustic criticism of others like Hannah constantly received from Panana can 
be devastating. And, and oftentimes, those voices that we experience are the voices within us, our own voices in essence, holding to us that we're not measuring up. Have you ever had those taunts ringing in your ears? You know, it's a terrible thing when voices we hear tell us how bad things are and, and how, how they'll never get better and how devastating life is and the woe is me that oftentimes rings in our ears. I would think especially there are many people today hearing voices related to failures and related to an economy over which we have no control, uh, related to this COVID-19 that we haven't been able to control. What's the source of those voices? You know, I was an associate pastor for 13 years, and I saw church conflict, and I knew church conflict uh, was part of the deal, but as an associate pastor, you're somewhat removed. In Henderson, my very first uh, church, I mentioned that's where we baptized Zachary, there was a conflict uh, that I walked into that was between some members of the um, the congregation, maybe even the community, and our pastor at that time. Our pastor was a wonderful preacher, and um, he was kind of high church, a little bit more high church than the community of Henderson, and more especially that particular congregation. And there was a conflict in that there was another more conservative church in town that had attracted some of the members from our church, and it seemed like active proselytizing was going on, and it was painful especially in a smaller town when most everyone knows what's going on in the church world of that community. And I remember when I was in Houston uh, where Emily was baptized, uh, right in the midst of my time there, the church had done a consultation. We were a downtown church, and it looked like for us to really grow into a, a viable future, we needed to move further west where the population was going. And we took a vote that would have the church relocate to uh, the 610 loop of Houston on the west side, and the vote passed by 56%. Now friends, that might be a landslide in a political election, but in a church vote, that's disaster. Because that means 44% of the people are unhappy with the move, and that was such the case. And though I was an associate pastor, I saw the pain that our pastor experienced from those voices that were so angry about the thought of such a move. And then came my turn to be the pastor. I remember coming here to Dallas, and, and, and I remember how um, wonderful it was for the first few years, but every pastor knows uh, as I came to know, that the honeymoon period will definitely wear off. And I remember a situation where there were a couple of staff members who had resigned suddenly and people were upset. I announced uh, that we were going to have a town hall meeting and, and anyone who had questions could just come to the town hall and, and we would have that meeting in the sanctuary. It was my belief that people would act a little more reverent in the sanctuary Alkanina, he, he also understood that. He went to Shiloh once a year, a place of worship. 
especially with his family because there was so much drama within the family. He thought they would be more reverent in Shiloh. I had decided that I would serve communion and was making my way down the aisle to uh, begin this time of town hall with Holy Communion. What a brilliant idea. And as I was walking down the aisle, um, and the sanctuary was filled with a couple of hundred people, I I guess I was a little nervous or too much in a hurry or uh, just kind of klutzy, but I spilled the communion chalice, and it fell on the floor, and it broke And the grape juice went everywhere. And it seemed to make a statement about where I was at that time. It was a disaster. I was hurting and people were hurting. And and I was getting depressed and I could hear voices in my dreams. And suddenly I would discover that there was a a 4,000 year old personality assessment called an Enneagram. And the assessment of personality types assesses one particular personality type, a number one, which I am one, um, hears voices because of your perfectionist kind of bent, and those voices often are critical. So that was comforting in the fact that I knew I wasn't crazy, but I was still hearing voices that were driving me crazy that were speaking to me about how bad things were at the church, how bad this conflict was, how it would be so bad that it would eventually lead to my leaving and, and perhaps my ruin in ministry. The voices were bad. And, and you know, I, I was praying every day that God would show me a way and show us a way as a church to get over this conflict. And it got better in time, thanks to good listeners and to the influence of God. But I tell you, the rest of the story is coming, and it was a little while in coming for me. But when it came, it was all about God's grace. I want us to turn to the ninth verse of this same first chapter, where we continue to read this wonderful story. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, Hannah, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you As a Nazarite, until the day of his death, he shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. I want to point out something here. It wasn't that, that, that Hannah didn't want a female child. It's that she wanted to dedicate a male child to the service of the Lord, which was only four male children at the time. She said he'll be a Nazarite. The priest Eli saw Hannah praying and he thought that she was drunk. He'd never seen anybody praying with so much fervor. 
He, he'd never seen her, uh, anyone who would pray with so, such intensity. And so he was walking over to admonish her. But she said, don't consider me worthless. Let's pick up reading there with the 17th verse. Then Eli answered, go in peace. The Lord of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, then went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah, he knew his wife Hannah. We know what that means in the Bible when you say he knew his wife Hannah. And the Lord remembered her. In due time, about nine months later, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel. And she said, I have asked him of the Lord. And, and here we know Samuel, that wonderful portrait of the priest raised by Eli, the priest who would consecrate and commission kings of Israel, the priest Samuel, who was born of Hannah. You know, the drama thickens, doesn't it? Hannah rises and goes to worship and prays. O oh Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. But give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. That was the deal. But listen to me. God did not respond to the deal. God heard her prayer and granted her desire, not because she made a deal. God granted her desire because she asked with such a sincere heart and because God knew and God alone knows. And sometimes these are very mysterious knowings indeed that she would benefit from being the mother of Samuel. God knew what Hannah needed before she even asked. And yet she asked, and in the way that she asked, God saw fit to grant her her request. You know, sometimes what is best for us is not what we ask for, isn't it? We don't like that oftentimes. We often think we know best, we know what we need, but we acknowledge, don't we, that God knows better than we know. And we have to trust God. With all circumstances, just as God was trusted by, Sarah, by uh, Hannah with this great need that she felt she had. Then Eli made this remarkable response to her and said to her, Go in peace, 
the God of Israel will, will, not might, but will grant the petition you have made to him. And Eli had no idea what the child who resulted from this vow would mean to his own priestly family. Eli hadn't a clue. Eli didn't know the circumstances that, uh, that, that Hannah had born in her heart. Hannah left the temple much encouraged and feeling comfort. She was influenced by God and by God's man, Eli granting her God's gracious gift of peace. She knew and she wasn't worried about whether or not God would would carry through and whether or not God would show her this grace that, that, that Eli had said, God will show you this grace. She had that confidence and that assurance that let her go forth with joy. The good news is that at the point of our discouragement, at the point of our despair, at the point of our disappointment. That's the place where God begins. When we bring our despair, when we bring our discouragement, when we bring our disappointments to God, we can be assured that God will respond. It is not in getting the right spiritual discipline or the latest strategic planning process that meets our needs. It is not being in the right church or hearing the right preacher that will cause everything to fall in place. It is not in our works to earn our needs being met, but it's in the peace that Hannah exemplifies, the peace she had in the words of Eli about the promise of God. It is in simply and straightforwardly expressing a need to God that Hannah finds her peace. And knowing that God cares and that God remembers and that we are worth so much to God that we too find our peace. Hannah recognized that wholeness in her life lay beyond those things that she could and could not control, but that wholeness rested in who God was and in God's larger reality in life. She was influenced by who she, by faith, believed God to be, one who was steadfast, who who loved her, whom she could count on in the time of her deepest need. The story is really all about the influence of God's dynamic grace on Hannah's life. In the darkest moment, in the time of her despair, when when the voices that she heard from Penana were ringing in her ears, when all she could think about was her own failure and her own worthlessness, God comes with a different word. And that word is all about grace. A few years later, when Elkanah was about to make his annual pilgrimage to Shiloh, Hannah told him that she would stay home. And when she weaned Samuel, 
she would make her journey to give Samuel to God at the age of three years old. Now, friends, we have a granddaughter that's two and a half, and I love her beyond measure. And, and to think of giving a child to uh, the priest, the old man Eli, is hard to imagine. But here is Hannah who had received the gift of a child that was so much more than just a child. It was the gift of her life again. And that she would see that child be raised in such a, a holy place with such a holy cause. And that child would become such a powerful priest and become so central to the faith story, your, yours and mine, our faith story. And Samuel right there as the consecrator of the kings of Israel. Let's read just one more passage here from the 23rd verse following in this first chapter. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the, God, the, the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Therefore... I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. She left him there for the Lord. What a powerful story. The fact is that God is not far removed from any of us ever. And God will respond to our heartfelt prayers and we'll find a way for us to receive that grace. And in receiving, which is our choice, we have that response of giving back to God in thanksgiving and praise. Hannah knew that God was near and knew that God was attentive. She shared with God her greatest concern. And Hannah did not know if she would get an answer to her prayer. She did not know what the outcome would be. But one thing she did know, that God would remember her. And God listened as she poured out her soul and she encountered God. And a baby was born. But also, a peace in her heart was born. A peace that transformed her countenance, that transformed her very being, that yes, indeed, did make her whole. 
She was given the prayer of her soul by God and she gave back to God just as she had promised. Do you know this God who remembers you and remembers your circumstances and who comes to you and who wants to bless you with that same peace and that same wholeness? I certainly hope so. And and perhaps even more important, do you know what it means to become the gospel of grace? Do you know what it means to become a, a conveyor of God's grace? Do you know what it means to speak grace into the life of another? I remember a broken time. I remember in the midst of that church conflict how circumstances had grown such that I was hearing those voices louder and and peace was uh, very elusive. And I decided that I would call up my bishop, Rhymes Moncure. I remember exactly where I was. I pulled over to the side of the road just to pour out my soul to my bishop. Uh, On the phone, we, we were talking. And I was babbling and going on and on about uh, my despair. I wasn't praying really, but I was speaking in such a way that, that rhymes knew my despair. And then all of a sudden, on the other end of the line, I didn't hear a response before I heard laughter. <laughs> what I heard from my bishop as I poured out my heart and soul about this conflict. And then came the word of grace. Stand, stand, stand. Lover's Lane's not your church. Lover's Lane is God's church. And you're the pastor. You go back to God's church and you lead the people of lover's lane. Friends, in the midst of a time when I felt barren and worthless, defeated and disappointed, I heard the voice of grace as my bishop became the gospel and reminded me that I served God's church and that my only response, the only appropriate response would be to go back and to serve God's church with all that I had and peace would come as a gift. Friends, I hope you've heard that word of grace that gives you peace and wholeness. And most importantly, I hope that we know that we're not called to be the panana, the one who chides and causes so much pain, much the opposite. We're the ones who are called to speak words of grace into the lives of others. We're the ones who are called to take God's grace and God's goodness that God wants to bestow on all and to Amplify that grace as we share it with others who are in need. 
May God send to you, if you're not already reminded by the Holy Spirit, may God send to you one, call to your remembrance one, who needs to hear the good news that God is a God who cares and remembers us. And God is a God who will supply all of our needs. Amen.